Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. Ty Hildenbrand right here. Dan Rubenstein right on over there. Solid Verbal at gmail.com. That's still the email address. We'll play your voice messages here momentarily. Those of you who called into 408-VERBAL-1, that's 408-837-2251. We're also on Facebook, on FanCred, and of course, on the Twitter, Dan. Week 8, now in the books. What a week it was. How are you? I'm fantastic, Ty. I just had a little bit of a nap, yeah. so I'm re-energized because I'm up early to do some work at the office on Sunday mornings, so... I liked week eight a lot. I had a good time in real life watching games yesterday. And I'm very excited because, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, not only do we have games to talk about, we now have a sort of broader scope, a shape to yeah. the the natural tiers that are forming in college football. That would be T-I-E-R-S. Not there are some T-E-A-R-S Yeah, I was going to say, Brian Kelly probably has had an emotional roller coaster, you know, past 18 hours, but... Um, it's, um, it's cool to be able to go sort of the short term, what happened this week and project forward with how things are looking. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Let's get started with those week eight reverbs. We'll start here the way we start all of our recap shows again, 408 verbal one, 408-837-2251. These come to us courtesy of our good friend, Taylor, the intern from Red Shell Radio. Let's have a listen. Hey, it's me. It's six o'clock Sunday morning. We were hosed. Hey, this is Andy from Redondo Beach. Hey guys, Patrick in Atlanta. Brandon from Frederick, Maryland. Hey guys, this is Coffin Hunter. Hi, this is James from Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Blowout Saturday. It feels good, baby. It feels good. Florida State, 23 and 0. How you like the apples? This is the worst loss since the Bush push in 2005. Dan, I want to speak for all reasonable Irish fans and say, I ain't mad at you. I think Notre Dame fans are missing the most important aspect of this. Uh, now those Manti Teo jerseys they bought two years ago? Yeah, they can say they're ever golden jerseys and they won't get made fun of as much, so they got that going for them. It's nice. I see one more person brag about Notre Dame's graduation rate on Twitter, I might just kill myself. You guys tell me what the hell Mike London's thinking because I sure as hell can't figure it out. Clap your hands, kids. Tinkerbama's still alive. It looks like uh, Texas A&M has become our new cure for the common run game. Is it safe to say that Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban truly despise A&M? Am I the only one that can imagine Nick Saban standing midfield, hands in the air, screaming, Are you not entertained? So the Texas A&M defensive performance was extremely convincing. If what they're trying to convince us of is that none of them have any arms. This is what I think Jeremy Foley should do to Will Muschamp. I just wanted to let you know that Chubb got another 200-yard game this week. He averaged over six yards per carry. I just wanted to make sure y'all understood how wrong y'all were. 
Clap your hands if you're a strong, independent Georgia fan who don't need no Todd Gurley. Just wanted to thank Dan for continuing to be the surest thing in college football picking. Congratulations to 2014 Florida Gators for winning their second consecutive Tire Fire of the Year award. Oh, gosh. Maryland, Iowa. The coldest, blandest oatmeal. Dan, if you took Washington and 24 points, you lose. It's bad luck to be superstitious. I tried to keep watching this Oregon State-Utah game, but the goggles, they do nothing. There's a kicker named Honeycutt. Well, he's not so sweet in the kicking game, apparently. Hooking all left and right. Could they make a loud, choking noise for Michael Honeycutt? Rolls nice. How about those TCU corn dogs? I've been thinking about who has the best nickname in college football, and I think TCU has two of them. DJ Catagon and Travon Deuce Boogie Boykin. What do Trevor Knight and the Texas A&M Aggies have in common? You give up? They both are famous for one stupid win over Alabama. Yeah! All right. That's an emphatic closing <laughs> to our reverbs. I don't know who that came from. Right. I'm guessing it came from our good friend Shiner Ryan. That sounded like his voice down in Shiner, Texas. Mm-hmm. Thanks again to everyone who dialed in to 408 Verbal One, Dan. What a week of college football. Now, we said at the start of the week when we did our mm-hmm. Wednesday show, it was a sampling of games. It wasn't quite the meaty slate that we had seen in like a week six, but there was enough there throughout the course of the day to keep us entertained all the way from 12 through 3.30 and 4, 6. And then, of course, the headliner at 8 p.m. with Florida State and Notre Dame. What were your general takeaways in watching these games on Saturday all throughout the day? It was a it was a general grazing day. Yeah, like you, they tell you to eat healthy by eating small meals throughout the day. Yeah, so it was a healthy day of college football. Uh, takeaways were the night games were superior in terms of entertainment, although the three thirty ones, there were moments, um, but largely the three thirty ones with Alabama just blowing the doors off of Texas A and M. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember what else was on at three thirty. I mean, the early Oklahoma and Kansas State, I think, was the noon Eastern game. Well, there was the Florida game on at three thirty. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The end of the Will Muschamp era was, was, uh, you know, that's notable. Yeah. The king is dead. Long live the king. Yeah. I would imagine Will Muschamp isn't long for Gainesville, whether it's, you know, happening this month or at the end of the season. But I imagine, I kind of don't think he's going to be fired during the season. I don't think they have a ton to gain if there's no, nothing hostile and unhealthy going on beyond what Florida is putting onto the field. Um, the, uh, the Baylor West Virginia game was quite fun, albeit insanely sloppy. Um, 32 penalties. Yeah. We got a hearty dose of Kevin white. So that offset and West Virginia burning things. Um, Ole Miss Tennessee was a little bit misleading because of a first half that I'm sure we'll talk about when we get more specifically into that game. And I had, a blast watching the high level of play going back and forth in that second half in, in Florida state, Notre Dame, a little bit sloppy in the first half, uh, both teams doing things that we thought they would do, doing things that we didn't imagine they would. And ultimately it came down to one final play, um, which most big games where people are trading blows in the second half 
tend to do. And I would say um, I could I can cap off my Saturday viewing experience with what I told you right before we started recording. I was excited for the possibility of Stanford, Washington State, or excuse me, Stanford, Arizona State. Yeah. Uh, just with Arizona State's offense looking as good as they, they've looked, even without Taylor Kelly and Stanford's defense looking as good as they've looked. And then Stanford's offense became part of the game in that they did nothing, in that they were very notably doing nothing. And I got to go to sleep at a relatively reasonable time. I couldn't because- watch that game. I couldn't bring myself to watch that game after Notre Dame, Florida State. It was, it was a decided step down. I don't blame you. I do not blame you at all. Um, I was hoping for some sort of push and pull and maybe Stanford's offense taking a step forward after the Wazoo no, game. No, like nine steps backwards. They yeah. were they were backpedaling like a like a team of cornerbacks against a really bad defense, too. So look, exceptionally here, bad. Yeah, here, here's what I'm thinking now after after week eight. Mm-hmm. As you know, this is the first year of the college football playoff. Do go on a totally different mindset, mm-hmm. because I think. If we were using the old system this year, it actually would have been perfect, would have been a perfect fit. You've got your SEC champion against Florida State. Mm -hmm. Let's play the game now. Let's see who the national champion is. All of a sudden, though, you've got teams like Notre Dame. You've got teams like Baylor. You've got other one loss teams. You've got Oregon Mm -hmm. teams that otherwise might have been out of this thing earlier in the season. Now I think we're at a point where we can start discussing how they fit in, how that four piece puzzle eventually fits in. I'm thinking the SEC champion is clearly your number one seed. This does not take rocket science to figure out. The SEC is far and away the best conference. The SEC West is far and away the best conference. It is without question that whoever wins the SEC needs to be the number one seed. Secondly, I think you got to put a second team from the SEC in. And this is something we joked about a lot. I'm assuming you're still joking right now. How long would it take for SEC people to start championing this idea? Right. I think it's got to happen. I just think it's got to happen. I totally disagree. All right. And then I think think Florida State, based on what we saw yesterday, played a good game, managed to win a few weeks ago with a backup quarterback and a hard-fought game against Clemson. I, I still think that was a good win, even though it might not be something that jumps off a resume at you. And then the Notre Dame game last night for them to come back in the second half and play the way they did, I think was really impressive. So the way I see it, we've got a four way debate for that final spot between Oregon, whoever wins the big 10, whoever wins the big 12 and Notre Dame. That's, that's how I'm looking at it now. So if I hear you correctly, you're not thinking two sec teams then. Oh, definitely not. Okay, no. explain. Uh, the best SEC teams, I mean, Georgia appears to be very, very good, but the best SEC teams are all lumped in the West. I don't want two SEC West teams in a playoff because they have an opportunity on the field to win a division and win a conference. And the the fact that we could get a playoff with rematches, it's it's. I understand you want the four best teams, but the, those four best teams are decided on the field. And to have a product where we get an egg bowl rematch in the national championship. That's, that's horrifying to me. And it defeats the spirit and the purpose of things playing out on the field as a whole, not just during the regular season, but also during the postseason. And granted, I cannot wait for the egg bowl. I just use that as an example, but the, the fact that we would have to, to sit through another one of these games, I think completely defeats the purpose of sort of settling arguments that we long had. Okay. I, think, I think it's sort of a waste of time. 
All right. Well, let's get into the highlight game of the evening. Of course, it was Florida State 31. Notre Dame 27. What a game. An incredible game. Very mm-hmm. engaging from start to finish. Didn't see yeah. many jokes coming from the solid verbal Twitter account. I was going to text to make sure that everything was okay in New York. Were you, everything's fine with you? There wasn't too much to joke about. I mean, I just I wanted to check because usually I, you'd be all over something. And no. I just I didn't see anything. So I just, you know, did we change the password? What happened there? No, it was fun to see Notre Dame play a good team. I, I it was. was. It was very fun. I, was, I wasn't used to it. Having watched the 2014 season now that Stanford is officially not a good team. Yep. Also, not a fault of Notre Dame's. But um, the I guess the funniest thing about that game was Brian Kelly's outrage over the ending slash um, the sort of how unfair it seemed. The Jimbo Fisher versus Brian Van Gorder matchup in the second half, second half adjustments it seemed like Jimbo and that offense and uh, the quarterback play from Florida state was so above and beyond and they handled the pressure so well, but they're the, the thing that I think impressed me the most about Notre Dame was they outplayed both of Florida state's lines. Big time. It was, it was really, it was, it was quite impressive to watch Everett Golson, even when his, the line in front of him, the offensive line, let him down. He was able to buy time that huge, fourth and 10,000 to to Corey Robinson at the end of the game. Um, It was, it was a spectacular back and forth to watch from the inside out. And obviously it did not go Notre Dame's way at the end of the, at the end of the game. I thought that was the correct call. I mean, it's one of those arguments that we see a lot during NBA games. Like, do you, do you call a travel at the end of the NBA final? Do you, is that really the place to call it? But it felt egregious enough that you had to. All right, so, so let me let me fast forward to the end. For people who please. didn't watch it, who who may not be familiar with the call, Notre Dame gets the ball, 253 left. Mm-hmm. They drive deep into the red zone after that miracle fourth down play from Golson to Robinson on like fourth and 18, whatever it was. Right. It's first and goal, no dice on first, second, or third down. Notre mm-hmm. Dame gets the ball on fourth. They go trips to the right, three wide receivers. After they snap the ball, C.J. Procise plows forward, Mm -hmm. seems to block somebody. Will Fuller seems like he's running a drag. It isn't clear, at least from the initial angle, if he's blocking or just running a drag route. And then there's Corey Robinson, who shoots off to the right-hand side, kind of like an angled out pattern, a corner pattern, if you will. So they call offensive pass interference on Fuller. On Fuller, right. not Procise. It looked like Procise was the one who had the it call did. against him, but it was actually on Fuller. Here's what's interesting to me. Now, I'm not going to debate the merits of this call. I, right. I think you could call it either way, quite honestly. You could even call defensive pass interference if you listen to the way Mike Pereira called it on Fox Sports. That is beside the point. And no matter what is said now, it's not going to change the call. It's not going to change the call. Of right. course not. That The call is beside the point. Procise, Fuller could have taken a step and play dead and Corey Robinson would have been open. It was a blown coverage. He would have been yeah, wide I don't, open. I don't disagree. He would have been wide open regardless of whether they picked or rubbed or knocked a guy over from Florida state or not. But the penalty was called this backs Notre Dame up now in between Notre Dame getting that penalty and then being backed up to try a fourth down again. The officials did miss number 26 from Florida state taking his helmet off, which had it been properly called would have meant first and goal from the nine for Notre Dame. But we're not splitting hairs here. What's done is done. It was a courageous call by the ACC refs. Um, 
clearly did not go Notre Dame's way. They right. had a chance, though. They had a chance. As you mentioned, they outplayed Florida State, I think, on both lines, so much so on the offensive mm-hmm. line that they actually had a running game, Dan. They did. What the hell is that about? Tarion Folston, mm-hmm. 120 yards on the ground? This is the first time all season we've seen that. Yeah, I went back and listened to the preview just because I wanted to know what I was thinking and what you were thinking before the game and what uh, and what actually transpired. And I think we both had agreed that if Notre Dame is able to run the ball, there's no way they're not in this game. It, it, it would be turnovers. We agreed on turnovers and Notre Dame being able to control the clock and, and the sort of line of scrimmage on the road. Um, and they did it. They they counted on Torn Falston. Uh they wisely took the ball out of the hands of Cam McDaniel and Greg Bryant. Greg Bryant, he's a five-star high school running back. He is not a five-star college running back. Um, and they they went right at that Florida State. And I was I was genuinely impressed with how fearless the play calling seemed the majority of the time. The offensive line wasn't always terrific in pass protection as Golson needed to run around, but in getting a push against Edwards and Goldman and a talented uh, Florida State defensive line, the running bar Folston was able to get to second level and make moves on a talented core of linebackers. Matthew Thomas back from his uh, from his NCAA suspension. It was on the ground. Notre Dame exceeded, I, I want to say, anybody's expectations. I thought they looked really good. And I think you're right to say that the difference was the second half. And you could credit Jimbo Fisher with that if you want. I'm just going to credit Jameis Winston. Something all the Florida State fans say, oh, you, ne- you never credit, you never give him his his due. You always criticize Jameis Winston. Well, he was really good. Right. He's still a really good quarterback. He may not be yeah. guy of the year, but right. he started using the middle of the field because Notre Dame all first half was able to get to him with linebacker pressure. Second half, they start running a little bit more over the middle. He starts making incredible throws off his back foot over the middle. His receivers clearly step up. Mm -hmm. I went back to the Wednesday show, too, and I do remember saying how I wasn't sold on the Notre Dame pass defense. Right. And I think it really showed here because Winston did have that middle of the field. Even when it wasn't the middle of the field, he had guys running wide open all throughout the third and fourth quarter. So that's something Notre Dame is going to have to shore up when they couldn't get to Jameis. He had his pick of the litter, so -hmm. to speak, among receivers. So a really good showing for him in the second half. And it ultimately did turn out the way we expected because it came down to the ball in the hands of the best player for each team. Everett Olsen, Jameis Winston, and I think on a Saturday night, uh, that's all you can ask for. So look, Florida State undefeated. They've mm-hmm. got what I think is a minor blip on the radar game in two weeks, whatever, against Louisville on a Thursday night. Louisville's got right. a good defense, but they're probably mm-hmm. not going to be able to outclass Florida State. Notre Dame, though, is sort of the more interesting case as we start to think playoff, because I think they opened a lot of eyes last night. I saw a lot of people writing that they're they're one of the elite college football teams, and I, it's probably hard to think otherwise. Right. If they run the table, Dan... What are their chances of making this playoff? Uh, I would assume quite good. I, I, they're not getting any favors from Michigan and Stanford at the moment, which would have been nice for Notre Dame because it appears that there will be. Well, no, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, it looks like your champion from those will have, you know, probably one loss. But in all likelihood, also the the two loss possibility is there. Um, 
they're just their strength of schedule right now is just not doing them any favors. They have to hope for ASU and USC continuing to climb. Northwestern has looked good. They also get Louisville. So there there is common opponents with a number of these teams. If Oregon and USC, for example, face off in the the Pac-12 championship game, uh, Louisville will have played Florida State. ASU will have played, you know, if they face Oregon in the, or whoever in the Stanford in the uh, the Pac-12 championship game. So there are, there are some commonalities there which will make things easier. Um, Notre Dame as a team, they certainly look the part of a top five team. And I, I really can't argue with a ton. Uh, it's, I mean, it's basically their schedule at this point where they have Navy and ASU, at least ASU going on the road will be nice. And they have USC on the road. So those are nice. They have to hope that those teams continue to play well. Yeah. And that that's counting on a very, very bad ASU defense and a very, very Steve Sarkeesian-led USC team. They, all, they almost need USC to knock off Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, something like that. Which, by the yeah. way, with the way that Oregon's line has looked, couldn't be out of the question at this point right. in the season. I want to rule that out. But they definitely need some help from ASU. They definitely need some help from USC. They need those teams to continue looking pretty strong. And it wouldn't hurt if Louisville kept winning. And it wouldn't hurt if Louisville looked half-decent Yep. against Florida State when they play on a Thursday in a couple weeks. So Notre Dame is going to be an interesting case. We'll see how they fit in, but I do think they're in the discussion. They're in like the four-way conversation from where I sit to maybe get their hat thrown in the ring here. Guess who doesn't play that first week of December, by the way? Notre Dame. Notre Dame, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. A lot can happen that first week of December. We've seen it yep. before. Uh, elsewhere in the ACC, very quickly, Clemson struggles with Boston College, but they win by four on the road. Yep. Louisville and Syracuse both win big. Duke and Pitt grind out wins. And somehow, just somehow, North Carolina beats Georgia Tech. I am actually interested in seeing how North Carolina moves forward because they're not like ineligible for a bowl at this point. If they keep right. winning, they can make the postseason. They're not going to go right. to any great bowl game, but um, they knock off Georgia Tech, who is until recently undefeated in the ACC. So uh, a nice win for them after that's, losing. That's bowl eligible Duke to you, by the way. Bowl eligible Duke? Yeah. They got okay. their sixth win. Didn't they, did they not? They did. Okay. Let's move on. Let's go Big Let's, 12. Yeah. This Big 12 is getting real fun. I don't know what to make of the Big 12, Dan. Oh, I think that's the fun part of it. West Virginia 41 Baylor 27. This was Chris, the cappers lock of the week. He was on mm -hmm. West Virginia plus nine. Uh, you know, the big story, obviously that Baylor lost in that K state is now maybe the big 12's best shot at getting into the playoffs. I don't know. Uh, the two smaller stories for me though, the sloppiness, as you mentioned at the top of the show, yeah. 32 penalties Ooh. in this game, 353 yards. Some on Twitter referred to this as flag day. And I felt that was appropriate. Secondly, though, West Virginia's defense yes. actually played a hell of a game. Came up huge on third down. Baylor just three of 16. Also held to 318 in total yardage, which is no small feat because this is a Baylor team that can clearly put up yards and points in droves and very, very quickly. For West Virginia to do that to this Baylor team, I thought was downright impressive. They obviously win the game. They kept throwing deep. Kevin White still a monster. I don't know what to make at all of West Virginia. I love them at home. I hate them on the road. A really nice win for the Mountaineers. And now Baylor again confuses me, Dan. As they should. 
Well, no, it's actually very clear. Baylor on the road is very difficult to feel confident in against decent to good teams, which West Virginia certainly is having only lost to good teams, one in conference and then Alabama. They lose to Oklahoma in a close one in uh, in Morgantown. Um, West Virginia is very good. Uh, Russell Shell gets hurt in the first half. They don't miss a beat on the ground with Wendell Smallwood having, well, he was serviceable. He wasn't fantastic. Clint Trickett was the story with Kevin White, who is now, I think, over 1,000 yards on the season. Uh, Baylor just looks like they get out of sorts, on the out of sort on the road, and it's something that they have a, a certain flaw where they have difficulty getting into rhythm against, and most teams have this, but against good teams, but especially on the road, they still have not climbed over that hurdle. Um, at this point we are pot. I think it's fair to say that in the big 12 West Virginia, Baylor, TCU, Kansas state, and Oklahoma are all good to, to varying degrees. Oklahoma state, certainly without JW Walsh and looking as poorly as they played, uh, yesterday against TCU, not there. Texas has a letdown defensive week against Iowa state, barely getting by them uh, and Kansas state, the, the beneficiary of well, their own good play and a terrible, terrible missed extra point and untimely Oklahoma turnovers. It's so there's one, two, three, four, five teams that really could go in any direction at this point with whatever six or seven weeks left. Also, by the way, Tom Bradley at West Virginia. Not bad. You're, you're, you pointed out the defense stuff. They lose their defensive coordinator to ASU, who actually had a very good night defensively with their own. Um, and Tom Bradley, I think he's defensive line, but is also some kind of associate head coach kind of thing. Yeah. Feels like, uh, some decent leadership that was, that was needed for a long time on the defensive side of the ball, in West Virginia. He's been a good defensive coach for a long time. And it yeah. doesn't surprise me that you could put him almost anywhere mm-hmm. and he might not be head coach material for whatever no, but reason, but they look so much more fundamentally sound than they have these past couple of years missing Jeff Castile in previous years, Dan, and you know, this. West Virginia just sort of run around on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, at least it looks like they've got some order to what they're trying on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. And they were really good on third down here. Baylor got some plays, but they yep. were really good on third down when they needed to come up big. West Virginia was able to come up big. So this is a nice win for them. They've only got two losses. They've got some games on the schedule. Uh, I'm curious to see what they do moving forward. The K-State game was interesting. 31 30 The Wildcats win. They sort of put themselves in the driver's seat, although they've got a really difficult road, which I'll get to in a second. Michael Honeycutt is the name of the kicker for Oklahoma. Otherwise, a reliable kicker. You hate to see this happen to a kid, but had the missed extra point or the blocked extra point. uh, Missed two field goals, one which was from 19 yards and was just awful. I tweeted out that he had the Kansas State money line after (laughs) seeing that kick. Yep. To me, the bigger question in this game, though, what happened to this Oklahoma defense that we read about all offseason? Uh, the secondary outside of Zach Sanchez is not very good. Obviously, they miss Frank Shannon, their All-American caliber linebacker who was suspended for the season. Um, it's tough. It's it's one of those. We thought Trevor Knight was going to be a Heisman candidate in June. He actually had a very nice bounce back game. We thought Kenny Hill was going to be a Heisman candidate in August. Yeah, it's one of those things. It it doesn't matter what we talk about. It doesn't matter what happens in a bowl game nearly as much as it matters what happens week in and week out. Once teams have current film on you and Oklahoma's defense is fine. It's just nothing terrific. And I almost want to give they're good. The Oklahoma defense is I don't know. Don't don't know what the word 
is that would would specifically nail what nail down what they are. But Kansas State with that like weird pop pass attack where Jake Waters just starts running forward, he might throw it, he might keep running forward. That's hard. They're doing that against everybody successfully. And uh, you you play like Oklahoma played against a well disciplined team. You give them turnovers. It's hard to win. Yeah. Well, and that's why I asked the question. Yeah. All off season about the Sugar Bowl. And I felt like a broken record if anyone listens religiously. Right. I asked the question like 15 times this offseason to different guests. Right. Was Trevor Knight's performance, was Oklahoma's performance in that Sugar Bowl against Alabama a fluke or not a fluke? And, you know, the overwhelming answer was, no, it's not a fluke. They've got a lot of starters back. This is going to be a really good team. It still is a really good yes, team. Yes, it is. But it's not looking as ironclad as it did back in in January. K-State here with that offense did a number on Oklahoma. And look, it is not sexy. It is not no. a sexy offense. But Bill Snyder like is just it. I like it, too. He's just good at using the tools. You know, they've got some interesting schemes up front. They showed the replay where they were splitting their offensive line and sort of forcing Tyler Lockett or Curry Sexton out onto an island. Uh, and then there was the point in the game where Jake Waters might have gotten hurt, which right. would have really been bad news for K-State because they Correct. need him. But, uh, you know, they're they're solid. They just don't make mistakes. They don't shoot themselves in the foot, at least not after that Auburn game. So, you know, how do you project K-State moving forward? If I am looking at this in terms of my four prong debate for who gets that last playoff spot, mm-hmm. I think Kansas State probably has the hardest road of anyone oh they definitely do all right they're still not in the top 10 which is curious but not totally unexpected there's some skepticism there which i understand they've got to go on the road to tcu to west virginia and to baylor to close out the season right if they win all those games on top of beating oklahoma and their only loss is a close one to auburn right they've got to get the nod I would assume so. I just don't see a way that K-State runs the table. That's tough to go on the road three times in November. Yeah, their schedule's backloaded. The Oklahoma win was their first actual win of the season of any merit, and it is mid to late October. So, yes, their schedule's backloaded. They will have an opportunity with really no week off until the Kansas game, and Kansas has actually looked a little bit scrappy in recent weeks since getting rid of Charlie Weiss. So, Yes, they will have earned their way despite the Big 12 not having a championship game. We'll see if that actually matters. But uh, the fact that they don't might actually work in their favor if they're able to go through that unscathed, which I just it seems like an impossibility. They have a they have, a I think, a bye week between a Saturday and a Thursday game. And they have Kansas between West Virginia and Baylor. But even still, that's yeah. that's a gamut. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the Big 12. I, I really don't. It could go. So many different ways. There were a few other games on Saturday. Texas won 48-45 on a late field goal. They beat Iowa State at home. You mentioned that one a little earlier. Yeah. Texas Tech got its first conference win over Kansas. TCU thumped Oklahoma State. By the way, don't count out TCU. Definitely not. TCU still has a a fighting chance here to get back in this thing. So the playoff has clearly made the conversation – a little more interesting after your team gets one or even two losses. And I would expect that interest to manifest in our download counts. I really would. I would. Hope, I, would I definitely expect that. We've got the best, the best listeners on the planet. I, I'm <laughs> serious. I'm serious. Now, second week in November, 
reliably through the first six seasons of us doing this show, Up the ten. numbers very gradually start to taper off. Very gradually start to taper off because I think people lose interest. They don't feel As like their, their teams, teams are out of it. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't feel like their teams are in it. They don't really have a reason to listen because it's you know their season's over. Not the case this year. I think a lot yeah, of these teams, so. especially the Big 12, which could go any. Uh, but by the way, I also think TCU, I'm listening to cases why they should be ranked higher. This is, I mean, oh, yeah. polls are dumb, especially in October. But having beaten Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, being with Baylor until basically the final second at Baylor, uh, a pretty even game, albeit the defense wasn't the best in the second half in that game. And now with Minnesota being ranked and really not letting Minnesota compete in that game at all. It's there are decent wins plural to be had where perhaps across the country with other top 15 teams, it's more of a singular thing. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the playoff committee releases yeah. their rankings and, mm-hmm. and, and what they have to say. October 28th. Yeah. Next the, week. I believe that's a, is that a Monday? Uh, I believe that's a Tuesday. Okay. They, they convene Tuesday. It'll be Tuesday nights. There's some sort of show that they'll be doing to okay. reveal their poll. All right. Let's move on to the SEC. Okay. Not a ton of close action in the SEC. I no. do want to lead off, though, with the Missouri-Florida game. Because if you oh. look at the stat line, it was just so ridiculous. Missouri won oh. the game. <laughs> what was it? You okay Sorry. over there? Sorry, no, I was just approximating that game as oh, a whole. That was uh, a good audio performance of this game. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Missouri won the game 42 to 13. Yeah. If you see that score, Dan, let's say you just wake up from a long winter's nap. Mm-hmm. You open up your iPhone scoring app of choice. What's your scoring app of choice? Uh, I use, um, it's, I think it's the score. It's oh, our Canadian friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, they have a really good usable quick app. What do you use? I am sort of on the fence between Yahoo Sportacular. Okay, I used to use that. And uh, the ESPN Sports Center app, which has actually gotten a lot better. The Sports Center app gives me highlights if I want to see those, and it uh-huh. also gives me uh, penalty stats, which the other one doesn't. Oh, okay. Reasonable. If you looked at your scoring app of choice and saw 42-13, you'd think, all right, this was just a, a total annihilation. If you didn't watch the game, the game was an annihilation on our eyes. It was a not an annihilation on your eyes. Yeah. Missouri, just 119 total yards, 20. <laughs> I say 20 Amazing. passing yards by Matty Mock. Missouri yeah. had 11 penalties, had one turnover. They won by 29, Dan. They yeah. were the first team in like 15 or 1500 years to have four different kinds of returns for touchdown in one game. A punt, a kickoff, a fumble, and an interception. They also had two rushing touchdowns. That's how they won the game, 42-13. to 13. That combined with Florida's six turnovers. <sighs> I think... I know, I, I don't say I need to say I think. I know that we are both taller as humans than Matty Mock's yards per attempt in this game. If you walk to get your mail at a mailbox in front of your home or apartment and then turn around and walk back to where you are sitting, you have already traveled 
a farther distance than Maddie Mock threw for in this game yeah. and helped to pace somehow or helped to not detract from a pasting of Florida who will be searching for a new coach come early December. They're already searching for a new coach. They probably yeah. just aren't willing to make it official. What right. I find most interesting about this game is that Florida was favored by seven headed into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a good SEC. I mean, not a good SEC day, but a good good day for separation. Um, LSU took a step forward offensively, which we've been waiting to see with with the sort of youth and quarterback uncertainty. Ole Miss, the score sort of belies how bad their first half was, which was it was exceedingly bad until two touchdowns near halftime. I have the drive. You know what the drive chart of that game looks like? Please, please enlighten me. I'm going to do it in song. Okay. It, I was going to do some sort of EDM, but I don't know if I can, um, what would be, so I'm looking at pun, 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 it's real, it's real ugly. It was a sloppy ass game, but Ole Miss does do a good job finally getting into a rhythm through the air. Uh, another inconsistent start of the game for Ole Miss, though. I think they should be fine, uh, just because that defense is so nasty. It's very, very good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, SEC-wise, and then the story, of course, is Texas A&M. Yes. Do you have a favorite touchdown from their game against Alabama? Because there are so many to choose from. I do not. I wanted to play this sound. I called a boat racing on this one. You did. And uh, it was, I didn't expect it to be this lopsided, though. Right. 59 nothing. your final score. A&M held to just... 172 total yards on the flip side bama racks up 602 total yards they threw for just over 300 through the air almost rushed for 300 on the ground had 298 Mm -hmm. but here is the interesting stat 177 yards on the ground before contact oh my god before contact yeah 177 yards for alabama now Alabama's good enough on the ground running through tackles running through tackles when you are touching them when you're not touching them 602 yards and 59 points tends to happen Mm -hmm. has the swag copter now crashed (laughs) that's a very violent image um first of all I disagree with your uh, indication that it was a boat racing because it appeared Texas A&M was left on the shore. Okay. Texas A&M was just on a pier like, guys, no? I, I mean, can can you come back? They forgot no? to pull okay. the anchor up. Right. It was almost from the first snap of this game. And I don't know if Blake Sims, if, if his ridiculous run was included in that yards without contact, but that was one of the, the best runs of the season. That was up there with anything we've seen this year. That was he juked he, essentially the entire Texas A&M defense out of their shoes. He looked like a running back on that play. Yeah, he I mean, he the fact that he was so efficient through the air, I think he was it was almost like 10 yards per attempt and he was able to move the ball and he wasn't asked to do it a lot. But that run the 40 something yard run was absurdly fun to watch. Um, Alabama with a very nice bounce back week, even though Nick Saban said, 14, 13, our players are happy, so I'm happy. Nope, full of shit. He was not happy, and it showed, and they looked so much more crisp through the air on the ground. The offensive line still without Ryan Kelly, which was the big deal, their center from the week before against Arkansas. Even without Ryan Kelly, they were able, and Texas A&M is basically, what did we call Texas like three years ago? The cure for the common run game? 
that's basically what A&M is now. I still have the sound. I still have the sound. Do we want it? I would love it. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. The cure for the common run game is Texas A&M. Let me ask you this, because mm. I... I did a number of radio interviews last week in the build-up to Notre Dame, Florida State. Thank you. Sexy boy. I'm pumping out my chest here. Yeah. Um, One of the questions I got was how many losses Alabama finishes with at the end of the year. I'm assuming Cincinnati Radio didn't ask you that. Cincinnati Radio did not (laughs) ask me this. Uh, How many losses does Alabama end up with? Here here are the remaining games on Alabama's schedule. I'm pulling up the schedule, yeah. At Tennessee... Okay, they win that. At LSU. They most likely win that. Home against Mississippi State. I'm, I'm giving that to Mississippi State right now, so that's two and one. Western Carolina. Three and one. Oh, no, three and one. And then home Iron Bowl against Auburn. That's tough. That's It's, it's going to be a fantastic matchup. I still am not fully trusting Lane Kiffin against decent defenses. Uh, and it would be it would be just false to call Texas A&M and what they do on the defensive side of the ball decent. Um, I would say that there's a very good chance of three wins um, with a uh, a decent shot at four. I think five is asking a lot. Yeah. But I could see I could see them finishing with three losses. They've already got one that one against Ole Miss. But um, there's three potential games in there where something could go wrong and they could lose. And that's at LSU. You never know. Mm-hmm. Those are always tight games at LSU home against Mississippi state home against Auburn. Yeah. Though the problem to me with LSU is still their defense is as better as they looked against Kentucky yesterday with, I I'm not confident. I mean, I just said the Lane Kiffin thing, but at this yeah. point it's the confusing Blake Sims thing. It's making Alabama adjust at halftime, which as you know, Texas A&M did not make Alabama adjust to much at halftime. Whereas I think Auburn and Mississippi State, I think John Chavis certainly is good enough to do so. I don't know that the if he has the experienced top-level talent on defense at this point that can be counted on to, to counter a very, I mean, you said it yourself, 300 on the ground, 300 yeah. through the air yesterday, a very balanced Alabama well, team. Well, and LSU's run defense has been suspect at best this yeah. year. You know, if you're going to beat Alabama be good up front be trevor knight in january and only january you know i don't know um all right elsewhere in the sec georgia 45 arkansas 32 dan yeah lock of the week your lock of the week i didn't disagree with you right what happened here I've locked up Arkansas, right? You locked up Arkansas. I'm the surest thing in college football. Didn't I also look up, lock up Washington? You locked up Washington plus 21. Am I not just handing people money? I'm assuming all of our listeners have compounds and swagcopters of their own. I'm calling up solidverbal.com right now. If you go to solidverbal.com slash picks, yeah. uh-huh. I have a listing. I've been keeping a running tally of all of our picks. Yeah. Thus far on our locks, you are two and nine with an 18% winning percentage. No, that's an 82% success <laughs> rate, Ty. I don't understand. That's the glass being 82% full. I am. I only listen to half of this show, your half. I only listen to that while we're recording that because I don't really listen to what I'm saying because I'm a maniac. Um, I imagine that if people listening to this show enjoy money, 
And, you know, not everybody's about that cash life. Maybe they're just about living in a hut, whatever. But if you enjoy things and you enjoy prime cuts of meat and awesome transportation and jewelry with your initials on it, baubles of sort, take my picks. Good Lord and bet bet against them. 82%, hi. I am have you done have you ever done anything with 82% success rate in your life? I I mean a couple things, but taco consumption. I'm at a hundred percent. I'm at 73% uh correct thus well, far. That's not as impressive as 82%. No, I guess if that's you look irrefutable. A hundred percent of the time I'm either right or wrong. So Georgia wins 45-32. Mark Richt has something that every coach wants, Dan. Mm -hmm. And that is a reliable chub. (laughs) Damn it, Ty. (laughs) This is true. He has a chub on which you can rely. He used to have a beautiful girl chub. He now just has a reliable... Just a regular chub. A reliable chub. Yeah, he had a girly chub. Anyway. (laughs) uh, What, what What were your takeaways from this game? I have a couple. Yeah, I was I was going to say that the Chub got up for a big game. Oh my God, Ty! Are, are these all written? Are these scribbled in a notebook in front of you these right not, now? These are not scribbled down. I thought of that okay. one about three seconds ago. All um, right. Thirty carries, two hundred and two yards, two touchdowns. Nick Chubb keeping the team afloat. Why I don't know. While Georgia tries to figure out what Todd Gurley's deal is, Chubb did a, a terrific job of penetrating. There you the, go. Yeah, that's. I think that's accurate. Documents. Are we good? Okay. We're good. Yeah. My takeaway is that anytime you're forced to let Brandon Allen throw 45 times, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, that's that's going to happen anytime that you that the two. uh, I think it was two turnovers right before the half. They had I know Georgia had a scoop and score four turnovers on the day. Arkansas is a good team that is just they need to rid themselves of the sloppiness. They're they're rough. Did I say Georgia? I meant Arkansas. Arkansas is a very interesting team they're a decent team that just has sloppiness concerns right now so they they just need an uh, another off season to get things right they're still undisciplined brandon allen is not a quarterback that is good enough to win consistently in the sec west but very few are um and hudson mason has steadily improved he's not at he's not asked to do a ton uh, as long as nick chubb is able to run i mean it's something like 70 ish carries in the past couple of weeks so you hope that some of the load will be shouldered elsewhere and maybe the, perhaps the Todd Gurley situation will get worked out before too long. Uh, yeah. Arkansas has got a little ways to go. I think they're just, they're going to keep improving. Um, they are. And I, it was one of those things where they, I mean, they mostly outplayed Georgia in the second half. Georgia was just able to take advantage of an awful, awful second quarter from Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. Arkansas is going to get better. You're right. The The defense needs to come around. They need to get, a little bit better at uh, at the quarterback position. I don't think it's one thing that you can right. fix at Arkansas. It's a couple things in tandem. But oh, definitely. Um, for as much as we want to make fun of Brett Bielema, he still has a track record, and I think he's going to do pretty well in SEC country. Sweet um, aviators, by the way, Bert. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah. The only other SEC action of note. Not really of note, but South Carolina beat Furman by 31, 41 to ten. Yep. Okay. Uh, the Pac-12. Yeah. You mentioned the late night game, Arizona State 26, Stanford 10. First things first here, before we get to the Stanford offense. 
<laughs> That's very kind of you to use the word offense. Let's credit Arizona State for scoring 26 points against Stanford's defense. Definitely. A balanced, efficient effort. Mm-hmm. Looking forward, Notre Dame is going to have its hands full with Arizona State on November 8th. It's a really bad matchup for Notre Dame, especially with ASU's passing attack. I am not looking forward to that one as a Notre Dame fan. We will get into that in a few weeks. ASU looked really good here when they had to against Stanford. Definitely. The good news, by the way, before we get into it, before I just share a couple of dumb thoughts about this game, um, Notre Dame has to, uh, or has the, the distinct pleasure of seeing Washington and Utah's talented defensive lines go up against Arizona state. It's a, it's a double body blow. Yeah. You don't like that if you're ASU, especially that's with a good defense. point that that's pretty suspect. Um, but in terms of this game, Stanford does not have an offense. They are woefully bad to the point where this morning I played a, a quick round with our friend, Ryan nanny of Florida or Stanford Ooh. when talking about offensive stats and wow. some of those answers might surprise you. I don't have them in front of me. Kevin Hogan is average on a good night. Can I, let I mean, me ask you a question about Kevin Hogan now. Yeah. He's the 10th best quarterback in the PAC 12, right around there. 10, 11. Let me, let me call a timeout. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I admire David Shaw's loyalty to Kevin Hogan, right? In this game, 19 of 39 did not look good. Mm-mm. At what point does he get a hook in favor of anything else of anything it's- else? Because they, he has been ineffective at quarterback. If you can't run the ball, Dan, and Stanford's had a hard time all season running the ball for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to do it consistently. If you can't run the ball, the only way you're putting up points, unless you're scoring them all on defense, is by throwing the football. And right. Kevin Hogan has not been able to do that. When do you give him the hook? I think Kajus was hurt last night. Their other really good receiver next to Ty Montgomery. So they were without that weapon. But this is an offensive line that's five stars essentially across the board. There's three or four or five stars on this this offensive line with a good Austin Hooper's a good tight end. It all it appears that he has the weapons and has the um the skill set. He's shown the skill set in previous years. I don't know if it's just a scheme thing. I don't know if it's an inconsistency thing from him, from the people around him, but you got I think it's what? Who's the backup quarterback? It's Evan Crower, the lefty, and they've got the the true freshman, the five-star true freshman, Keller Chris, who I imagine they want to stay and keep him redshirt. And it's, it's not like Stanford's out of anything in the Pac-12 at this point. So it's do you think Evan Crower, who's been in the program forever, gives the Cardinal a better opportunity to win when they, A, have not been able to run block, which is nothing to do with, with Kevin Hogan, uh, all season long. They have not been able to consistently move the ball. They missed Tyler Gaffney and how much they were able to count on him as a workhorse and how much of it is just, they're just not gelling as a coaching staff, offensive line, skill position quarterback. I don't know. I, I would, who does, who does Stanford have next? They have Oregon state. Yeah. You look bad against Oregon state, a, a below average pack 12 team before Oregon. I don't know if you, if, if the hook is very quick in that Oregon state game to get Evan Crowers some time ahead of Oregon, and that's a, a standard week. There's not a week off before that big game in Eugene. I, I think basically you have to have that in mind that if, yeah. if Kevin Hogan goes like punt, punt, turnover on downs, those first three drives against Oregon State, first quarter, quarter and a half, I, I don't see how you don't. You look at the box score in this game and Stanford had just 288 total yards. 
That yeah. to me says more about Stanford's offense than it does ASU's defense because ASU's, ASU's defense, defense, they've been terrible. They, they have been terrible. I'm looking at the numbers right now because we've got our super duper top secret spreadsheet here. Mm-hmm. 90th in the nation in yards per carry allowed. Right. 61st in the nation in passer rating defensed. Right. However you want to phrase that. Right. It was a lot worse before the Stanford yeah, game. Yeah, this this is that that 90th thing and I think the yards per play is something like 85th or 90th something like that and that's after a very good performance against Stanford. Yeah. If you can imagine where they were beforehand. That yeah. number is going to go back up cuz ASU still doesn't play a whole lot of defense. Uh, it says a lot about Stanford's offense. It's a shame to see. I, I don't know what it is. Is it the scheme, the coach, who knows? But you're right. I think they've got to have that in mind moving forward because the Pac-12 is still on the table for the Cardinal. And I know in previous years regarding Stanford, we've joked around about Oregon's Stanford problem. Right. All right. Right now, you know who else has a Stanford problem? Stanford. Stanford does. Notre yeah. Dame has a Stanford problem. Oh, they do. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. As in Notre Dame's best win is now over a three-loss Stanford team, which an unranked. Yeah, an unranked team, Stanford which may team. not be very good. They're certainly not right. good on offense. Oregon 45, Washington 20. Yep. Lock of the week. So you lock this one up again, the surest anti-thing in college football betting. 82% tie. Hard to argue with that. Two percent step up to the streets that's all i'm saying uh oregon looked fantastic in this game almost wire to wire initially early on they didn't look fantastic on defense but siler miles is not very good uh oregon's offensive line is getting better week to week still making a couple of stupid mistakes in you know pharaoh brown the tight end after a very long catch and run spikes the ball don't nice nice don't do that after the arizona game just be very kind and peaceful after big plays on offense or defense. Uh, Jake Fisher, of course, at left tackle has made another week of a difference in this Oregon rushing attack and in protecting Mariota. Mariota was under some pressure. Uh, it was it was Shelton and Kakaha for for Washington who are quite good on the defensive line, but their defensive front as a whole does not play consistently well. And Oregon has struggled to move the ball inside on the ground, and they were able to do that with ease as Royce Freeman is looking week to week to week like uh, the workhorse back that they really haven't had these past couple seasons. And Byron Marshall, even Kenyon Barner week to week was not what LaMichael James was. Uh, Thomas Tyner was beat up after, I think, getting hurt on a kick return. So Royce Freeman, the true freshman, shouldered a lot of that load. Mariota looks fantastic. Once again, that is not a surprise at this point. Uh, Spreading the ball around the defense, really tighten the screws. And Washington can't move the ball on the ground. After years of Chris Polk and Bishop Sankey really looking quite good in those offenses at Washington, they can't move the ball at all with any sort of, they, I just don't know if they trust the running backs. If, if Peterson and his staff, cause Cooper and Coleman and Pettis, all these guys, you know, they, they go to receivers on end arounds, but they don't have that guy on third and two. We are like, he's getting the ball off tackle. And I'm not sure if there's anything Oregon can do about it. Oregon collapsed a pretty average offensive line consistently and at this point, if and I tweeted this out, if Oregon's able to move the ball on the ground between the tackles and even just get average defensive play, they're pretty unbeatable in the Pac-12. Yeah. Look at I mean, look at their schedule going forward. Yeah. Home against Stanford on the road against Utah and then a few other cream puffs in between. And I, I and those are two teams with enormous flaws, two teams with enormous flaws, both play defense. 
Correct. All right. Both play defense. Both are pretty stout along the line. Yep. However, Oregon, as it is presently composed, is going to beat Stanford because their offensive line is getting healthier. Their offensive line is getting healthier. They're going to beat Stanford because I just don't think Stanford has firepower. In previous years, Stanford could control the clock. They could run the ball. I don't think they can do that this year. And Utah, very, very flawed. They play defense really well against UCLA. Against UCLA. This is a different team, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Maybe not all that dissimilar from UCLA in some regards, but I still think a lot better. I think if I'm looking at how this playoff hunt, again, sets up for Oregon, they probably have the second easiest road, with the first easiest road being whoever comes out of the Big Ten, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. Stanford is not going to beat Oregon. Right. I'm actually a little bit worried about Cal. I could see Cal scoring with Oregon, but I don't think they're going to beat him. Well, Cal's a more polished uh, Washington State on offense and uh, a little bit more balanced. Their defense... You know, Washington State's defense and Cal's defense are pretty similar, especially if you watch when they the two of those teams played. But the game is at is in, I guess, Santa Clara. It's not at Cal. Um, and it's a it's a short week, Oregon going on the road. And I'm still not I, I would imagine that it, you have to have a quarterback who can move a little who can move a little like Brett Hundley turn third and eights into 12 yard gains. But yeah. They can they have really good receivers, Cal, and their defense is OK. I don't think they'll lose, but I think that game could be a little bit interesting for a bit. I think Oregon's got a, a real good shot. I think they're in the driver's seat for yeah. this college football playoff. And I think if it comes down to a beauty pageant between them and the Big Ten, they're obviously going to have the trump card because there's a pretty mm-hmm. good chance it's going to be Michigan State coming out of the Big Ten, even though right now I kind of like Ooh, Ohio State a little bit more. Yeah, Ohio State's look, JT Barrett. I mean, against, frankly, nobody of that much importance has looked lights out he's looked good he's looked good but still it's uh i think a feather in their cap it's a signature win to start the year over michigan state i think they probably get the nod there elsewhere in the pac-12 usc wins by 28 over colorado cody kessler with seven touchdown passes in this game. extremely good day very efficient kessler uh ucla 36 cal 34 lock of the week Now, I said Cal outright here, and it almost happened. Still, Cal plus seven ended up being a pretty strong bet here. Mm -hmm. UCLA just not good enough to blow these types of teams out. They're just not good enough, Dan. No, they're not. Utah 29, Oregon State 23 in double overtime, Dan. Do you want to add anything about this one? Uh, Utah can't pass the ball, but that's okay because they have Devonte Booker, who is a man and 40, uh, 30 carries for like two over 200 yards. Yeah, he's a beast. And, uh, their offensive and defensive lines are fantastic. They get timely sacks. They get to quarterbacks. I don't think Oregon state is great, but had opportunities to win this game as most teams do when that goes to double overtime. Uh, it, they miss Langsdorf to a certain extent. They certainly miss Brandon cooks, the, the speedy receiver last year who turned six yard crossing routes into 83 yards, stuff yep. like that. And it shows Sean Mannion. I want to say, and this is the same Sean Mannion who like NFL people in the offseason season are like, Hey, he's got an NFL arm. This is, he's a sneaky first rounder. He is uh he's the least efficient quarterback in the pac 12 this season. Yeah, he is not. He's not going to be a first rounder. Nope. Probably not. Um, all right. Finally, then the Big Ten. Yeah. So Minnesota ekes one out over Purdue. Maryland beats 
Iowa 38-31. Someone called it cold oatmeal on the reverb line. That feels about right to me. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got three games, I think, featuring the three best teams in the Big Ten. All three of yeah. them won Michigan State 56-17 over Indiana. Ohio State wins by an identical score mm-hmm. over Rutgers. And then Nebraska wins 38-17 over Northwestern. As far as I see it, the date you need to know is November 8th. Michigan mm-hmm. State at Ohio State. The question then will be, can one of these teams work its way into the college football playoff discussion? It's going to be, I think, dependent on a number of different factors, many of which will be answered, defined, proven, whatever you want to call it, in this football game on November 8th when the Spartans go to Columbus, Dan. Let's go back a few minutes in time. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about who we favor more in a game between Michigan State and Ohio State right now. Okay. Where do you stand on that? Michigan State. You still go Michigan State? Yeah, I think I trust Connor Cook against Ohio State's defense more than I trust JT Barrett against Michigan State's defense. I think Michigan State can still win in more ways. I haven't, I mean, I, it's, Ohio State is still an unproven commodity to me. Look at, I mean, you look at their schedule, pick your favorite ranked team that they've played. Yeah, no, that's true. I can't. Um, have they played? They've played what one true? Ro- have, who, where did they play Maryland? Did they play? I think it was in College Park, right? That was in College Park. That's the only true road game they've played. Yeah. I don't know anything about this Ohio State team. Doesn't mean they're not really good. They are playing as if they are a really good team. They ran away from Cincy, Maryland, and Rutgers. But okay, I don't. That, so I'm more confident, even in seeing Michigan State in a loss against Oregon, in seeing their first half against Oregon, in seeing what they did last season against Ohio State, and then a a pretty good Stanford team in the Rose bowl um, in, in knowing what they do in big spots against good teams, win or lose. I feel more confident in Michigan state at this point in, in the number of ways that they can win. Can they lose to Ohio state? Definitely. But I just, if we're, if we're going with probability, I like Michigan state a little bit. I think I probably agree with you. I think I want to go Michigan state there as well. I could be swayed once we get to kickoff. Because the game's in Columbus. Clearly the biggest game of the year for Ohio State. They need to win. They not only need to win every game until that point impressively right. because they had a bad loss at home against Virginia Tech. Yeah. But they're going to need to beat Michigan State impressively too if they want to have a legit shot at making this playoff. So we'll see. I, I, I don't know where I stand on that game yet. Give me until November 8th. November 8th, by the way, shaping up to be a pretty nice day of college football. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll survive these next couple of weeks and it's going to be a fun one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things and not even, they don't even need to have played a ranked team, Ohio state. I just want to see them against that offensive line against a good defensive line, even just on Virginia tech's level to see how far they've come both as a line and the coaching staff has play callers and accounting for lines that are overcoming their own offensive line. By the way, this coming week, Ohio state goes on the road at night playing Penn State. Mm-hmm. The point spread right now, it opened at 11 and a half. It jumped to 13. Yeah. At a glance, I am inclined to go Ohio State heavy in that game. Wow. Heavy. And you've been successful, Ohio State heavy, these past few weeks. People are still undervaluing Ohio State, and Penn wow. State is just not good. With their yeah. offensive line problems, that's it. The, that's defense, an issue. the defense has been pretty good. The defense has been very good. The defense has been really good for Penn State, but. Ohio State with the way they're playing right now, JT Barrett's like 
fringe Heisman worthy at this point with the numbers he's putting up. I, I just don't see that being within two scores. Yeah, I don't Joey see Bosa, it. Joey Bosa and, uh, and hack are going to, they're going to be real, real tight by the end of the game. The other game of interest next week, and then we'll wrap this one up. Mm-hmm. By the way, do you have anything else to say about the Big Ten? Because I'm through. Um, Purdue, Minnesota was tight. It was fun. Tevin, I feel for Tevin Coleman from yeah. Indiana. Does just doesn't have the, the weaponry. Did you see the name of the quarterback who came in for Indiana? <laughs> this is pretty fantastic. Yeah, it was. Uh, there are certain names, Ty. Yeah. That, that just. I, I, do we have a name of the year, Verby? I feel like we do. We do. I feel like we do. And I suggested a, a new Verby category. Xander Diamond. Xander. Xander Diamond. But with a Z, not an X. But even still, Xander Diamond is um is a thing. It's a name. And I like it. The uh, only no. other Xanders that I know are Xander Bogarts, the rookie shortstop for the Red Sox. Okay. And uh, Xander Berkeley, who played George Mason on 24. Okay. I'm trying to think of, I feel like there's a cartoon character, Xander, that I'm missing out on. Was that Frisky Dingo? Was his name Xander? Mm, I, don't, I don't even know who Frisky Dingo is. <laughs> it's a great show, Ty. You would like it. It was, um, yeah, Frisky Dingo, Xander. Okay. We're good. That's it. Um, that's it. That's all <laughs> I have on the This concludes our Xander coverage. Our Xander talk is is pretty sweet. So I'm, cl- uh, I'm closing out with this. Yeah. This coming week, Mississippi minus three on the road at LSU Mississippi minus three against LSU on the road game day is going to be there are you intrigued by that game yeah I think so I think there is the possibility that LSU keeps getting better and better throughout the season and just have a a first half struggle of it I think we're pretty confident in their coaching staff we're confident in their recruiting um, that it's not unreasonable to expect especially with Ole Miss and their sometime first half struggles for LSU to take advantage of some of that. Um, I'm still much more confident in the rebels than I am the Tigers, but I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by that. Not a ton of great games next week. I'm I'm looking over the schedule here. We've got uh, Oregon Cal Mm -hmm. coming up this week. That's a Friday night game, Friday night lights, Oregon, about a 17 point favorite. We've got South Carolina Auburn, which is interesting just because it's a potential look ahead spot for Auburn with a bigger Mm -hmm. game on deck. Uh, I guess in two weeks, not a lot else. A couple games here and there, Maryland, Wisconsin, if you care about that, Rutgers, Nebraska, if you care about the Big Ten, Alabama, Tennessee, if you care about rivalries, Michigan, Michigan State, if you think Michigan can win. Not a lot of great games next week, but we'll be back on Wednesday nonetheless to preview all of the week nine action that is set to happen. And then, of course, we're all building up for November 8th. That's when S really gets real here. We've got some big games coming up here in the next uh, couple weeks. I should point out, though, by the way, Ty, we were pretty good with the Pat League this week. Oh, were we? We were. We both had Harvard over Lafayette. Yeah, that's a big one. We both had that. I believe we did. Um, lost on the Cornell. I went with my friend Danielle there, Cornell grad. Lehigh gets their first win of the season. I'm this this segment is not worthy of that big nasty drum and fife. That we'll save that for Wednesday. And the Yaleys and Handsome Dam take down Colgate. But yeah, it was a, an uneventful, I would say, week in the Pat League. But whew, Ty, I'm looking at this coming week's schedule. Yeah. And frankly, it looks like the past like seven schedules, they all look the same to me. 
<laughs> it really looks quite similar. I could have sworn that Lafayette and Holy Cross have played three times. <laughs> Apparently not. They're playing so round robin Wednesday. style this They're year. They're going round robin. Everybody plays everybody three times. Okay. Well, fun show. Do we have any shout outs here this evening? Ty, you know I have shout outs this week. Yes. This is just a small sampling of people heroic, heroic, courageous enough to retweet and spread the word. Share on Facebook, share and review on iTunes. Rocky Raccoon, Owen Johnson, Gary Holtzclaw, John Lint- Lintner, uh, <laughs> our boy Alan Kenny, our boy the Drunken Ninja once again, so loyal. Seamus Maloney doesn't sound like a real name. I really, really hope it is. He's Andy from Newber. Ireland. Is he really? He's from Ireland, yes. All right, the story hands out. Our boy, Randall Stoves. We yes. had Randall Graves last week. Our boy, Randall Stoves. I believe he's an Auburn man. Good for you. I'll be up. I'll be up. Uh, Lucas Nowinski, John Hudak, Ryan Garchi. I like saying his last name. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, it touches multiple parts of my mouth in a fun way. Yeah. Uh, that was awful, by the way. <laughs> Ryan Molnar, Xander Keen, Ty. We've we got, got another. There is another. Xander Keen, our boy, Andrew Sidebottom, Tyler Peacock, and of course, of course, Ty, who do we ride with? We ride with uh, the McKissick clan. The Brandon McKissick man himself. So if you do like the show, be sure to retweet, share on Facebook, and uh, of course, throw throw us a review on iTunes. You know we like that sweet action. You know it. All right. Our website, one more time, is solidverbal.com. Do feel free to drop us an email at solidverbal at gmail.com. You can also find us on the Facebook, on the FanCred, and, of course, on the Twitter, the Reverb Line. Just in case you're wondering, if you want to write this down, if you want to put us on speed dial for next week, it is 408-VERBAL-1. That's 408-837-2251. Dan, we will be back on Wednesday to preview a Week 9 slate that is yes, a little bit lighter mm-hmm. than we've seen the last couple of weeks, but it is college football, so it could always be worse. In the meantime, for that guy over there in beautiful New York City, his name is Dan Rubenstein. For myself, Ty Hildenbrandt, thanks again for tuning into the show. Talk to you in a few days. In the meantime, stay solid. Peace.